Excellent. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us this morning. My name is Keith Weiss. I run uh, software research in the U.S. for Morgan Stanley. I'm really pleased to have with us from Atlassian this morning Jay Simons, President, and Robert Chadwani, CMO. Uh, before we get started with the conversation, uh, I do have three disclosures. Please note that all important holdings, including personal holdings disclosures and Morgan Stanley disclosures, appear on the Morgan Stanley Public website at www.morganstanleyresearchdisclosures or at the registration desk. I forgot a backslash, but you guys got it. Um, thank you for joining us. Um, so unfortunately, this is going to be your last conference speaking to us as, as Atlassian president. Um, after 12 years, a, a very successful 12 years at the company. Um, so a couple questions. One, um, uh, just to address this sort of off the bat, um, can, you, can you talk to us about kind of um, why now? Um, so you've you had a, a really nice run, but I guess more importantly on a forward-looking basis, um, who's going to be sort of taking over your roles and responsibilities, sort of how are you guys going to um, fill the executive gap when, once you leave? Um, well, maybe I'll take the second, second question first. Anybody see the, the, the HBO show Succession? Yeah. It won't be like that. Uh, and, and, and in truth, the answer um, to both questions is the same, that, you know, the leadership team underneath me and in the company is, uh, is both incredibly tenured and just incredible. So after 12 years, I felt like the company, we'd done a lot of really important foundation building, and the company is in a really incredible spot with great leadership to continue uh, building forward. And so it, it uh, you know, after 12 years here and 12 years at the company prior to Atlassian, um, I, was, I was ready to go to Disneyland finally. And then uh, COVID-19 hit, and. Um, squash those plans, uh, but that's the answer. The lines are really short right now. Um, excellent. And, and then, Robert, maybe um, you could give us a little bit of an introduction. Um, how long have you been with Atlassian? Kind of what sort of your significant uh, priorities have been over the past year, and what you're looking to do over the next year? Sure. Uh, great to be here. Uh, this is my third year with Atlassian. Uh, my background actually is not in the software space; it's in consumer e-commerce. Uh, the longest since was at eBay. So I, I joined the company when we were just a few thousand people uh, and left uh, when we were uh, close to 35,000. Uh, and uh, really the, the passion that I have for Atlassian is, um, one, the business model, and two, uh, where we are in our growth curve. And so really what my team is focused on and what I'm focused on is bringing um, sort of the, the engines of e-commerce uh, into, the, into the Atlassian business model. Um, much of that has already been here. Uh, but as we think about scaling the company and expanding our reach for customers, uh, sort of the, the core nuts and bolts of um, efficiency and growth and scalability is what we're focused on. Got it. Excellent. So, so Jay, I actually created a theme for this presentation, since it's your last one, um, around what I think is, uh, makes me excited about Atlassian. Um, we um, got back on board with the stock earlier. And from my perspective, it's not a easy, it's, it's not a simple story, but it's an easy story that it's really about the P's and Q's. Um, Atlassian has done a tremendous job of growing out the customer base. That's your Q side of the equation. I think there's a lot of opportunity to continue there. Um, and on the P side of the equation, there's just a lot of uh, product that you could sell into those existing customers, and you could also take price against those customers. So it's, it's a really easy to sort of sketch out um, how the P's and Q's work for Atlassian on a going forward basis. Every question is about digging into those P's and Q's. So we're going to start on, on the Q side of the equation um, and really sort of the market opportunity from the, the customer perspective. Um, you guys have talked about targeting the Fortune 500,000, not mm -hmm. Fortune 500. 
from my perspective, one of the biggest assets and proof points of your success has been how well you've been able to expand that customer base. I think last quarter you talked about approximately 160,000 customers. Can you tell us a little bit about the profile of that customer base today? Who represents sort of the typical Atlassian customer if there is one? And where are the green spaces? How do you take that 160 to 500 over, over time? Uh, it's maybe the most important thing to understand about the company. You know, the, the, the shape of the customer base is, is really um, varied and diverse. And so we talk about the Fortune 500,000 part just to orient um, investors and people external to the company around the size of the TAM for us. It is not just G2K and Fortune 500 companies and big enterprises. It is, uh, you know, a, a really wide range of small to very, very big. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, we serve uh, customers in all industries of all shapes and, shapes and sizes and, you know, 100, I've lost count, 120 plus countries. Right. Uh, and, you know, our products basically um, serve a really critical need around team productivity and, and team collaboration. Uh, uh, you know, uh, supporting a bunch of very critical workflows for companies. The, the, you know, one of the secular trends that's driven a lot of our growth is just this notion that companies are becoming more technology-oriented um, and that software is, you know, eating the world and most companies are becoming software companies. And so as um, more brick-and-mortar companies, the smaller companies insource their own technology strategy, um, the toolkit that they'll give those teams of people that they're putting in charge of driving a digital strategy for their company um, will include one or all of Atlassian products. And that's sort of a core landing spot for us in, in any company is, is that. You're, you're going to build some technology project or drive some technology strategy. There's a lot of moving parts to that um, for the teams involved. And, you know, our products become the bedrock that supports the type of collaboration. Maybe I'll give one anecdote, you know, just for how diverse the customer base is. Um, I was in Japan when, during my last trip in Japan. Uh, you know, we had a press briefing where it's typical to have a Japanese translator. Uh, and, and so, you know, we met with a Japanese translator before, and she said, hey, it's, you don't need to really explain the products to me. I use Jira to run my translation business. And, you know, I'm like, well, what do, what do you mean? And she said, oh, yeah, I've got, you know, a handful of translators, and all of our translation projects are in Jira. Here, let me show you. And then she opened her laptop and gave me a demo of one of our products, Jira, which is this collaborative project tracking system. And that same software is used by Boeing and NASA and your company and, you know, like massive organizations to do effectively the same thing, track collaborative work. Um, and then a weird twist, I, I told that story to the press that she then had to translate about herself, which was pretty funny. But so I think all shapes and sizes and just driving a lot of really critical collaborative workflow for companies, you know, all around the world. And, you know, I think, you know, we, we should probably talk about the Fortune 1 million because, you know, there are um, at least a million companies in the world that have annual turnover of, of more than $10 million. And so whichever way you slice it, just the TAM is significant. We believe that, you know, every company in the world should use one or more of our products every day. Got it. Got it. So, Robert, similar question to you, but from, a, like, a marketing perspective and a targeting perspective, um, Atlassian has been very successful in sort of being virally adopted. It's very well known by developers um, uh, across the world. Um, how do you sort of target those next, what's the count, 340,000 to get to that 500,000 target? Um, what, what's the marketing strategy to go out and get Atlassian known in places that it's not? Mm -hmm. uh, one way to think about it is <clears throat> we are going to continue to do what we do extraordinarily well and do that even better. 
And then we're also going to um, start engaging customers at more senior levels. And so looking at the opportunity from sort of two ends of the spectrum, uh, on the first, you know, it's, uh, if you look at some of the, the guiding principles that have driven companies like Amazon, eBay, Netflix, um, efficient traffic acquisition, both organic and paid, uh, really optimizing the funnel and thinking about the metrics of how we continue to improve the onboarding experience, the activation experience, the engagement and personalization. Um, uh, we are continuously optimizing uh, what Atlassian is already really good at um, and effectively setting ourselves up for that next chapter of growth. Uh, part of that, by the way, is reaching more customers. And so like Trello and like Bitbucket, which have had free editions um, of those products, uh, we're also looking at ways to reach new geographies and new audiences by making our products even more accessible. So that's the sort of high-efficient, self-serve business which will continue to scale uh, and the technology that supports that. Um, on the other end of the spectrum, you know, we have, um, uh, we serve uh, Fortune 500 uh, user base uh, globally, uh, Global 2000, and that is a growing part of our business, both in terms of the number of end users within those companies using our products and also the um, senior level um, engagement that we have with decision makers who are deploying them more enterprise-wide. And so, you know, over the last 12 to 24 months, we've done a lot more around events. We've done a lot more around building those deeper relationships with executives uh, through uh, direct interactions at our conferences. Uh, and we're finding that to be a really effective mechanism to, one, demonstrate the value that Atlassian is already creating for those companies, okay. creating that visibility. Uh, but secondly, starting to get more enterprise-wide deployments. Got it. Jay, how has the role of partners changed in that, in that distribution methodology and sort of that customer outreach as Atlassian has scaled and as, as you guys pass through the, the billion-dollar mark? Uh, they've continued to grow and, and I think be a more, uh, more important contributor to, to, um, to landing customers in different geographies and expanding them. The, the, you know, the, the, the indirect partner channel we started about a decade ago and, uh, you know, just to back up a little bit, when I, when I describe the model, I talk about there's three really important components that drive the business model that really work um, in concert. One is the high-velocity flywheel, this acquisition engine that allows us to land inside of companies of all shapes and sizes really efficiently. Um, the second is this indirect uh, partner channel okay. that we started to augment that flywheel and, and um, serve both acquisition and expansion needs that the flywheel basically wouldn't, uh, wouldn't address. And largely the channel um, indexes in non-English speaking geographies where they might be less comfortable um, with a try-buy model online. Uh, and then uh, the channel also over indexes in the large enterprise segment just because they're all service providers uh, and you know, have some technical consulting expertise that they can apply to a, the really big canvas that large enterprise, uh, enterprises offer them. And then, so that's kind of point number two of the model. And then and the third part of the model is this strategic direct selling motion that largely focuses on the enterprise segment, the large enterprise segment, um, in concert with that channel because uh, in almost every case, there is some um, delivery or consulting or customization opportunity that the customer themselves might not have the capacity or expertise to do. And they'll want somebody that has uh, the technical background and acumen to say, okay, I'm gonna move you from um, your development methodology from waterfall to agile or I'm going to implement you know, a pretty broad IT service management platform that's going to support a bunch of service collaboration opportunity around your business outside of IT, or I'm going to modernize your um, incident management lifecycle platform 
and make sure that now as you become a software company and a service-oriented company, um, you're equipped uh, with all the right technology and process and approach to respond to incidents as, as, as well as a Facebook or a Google if you're you know, a, a brick-and-mortar company in the Midwest or something. You want basically the same capability that the leading-edge software companies do and how they operate, and that's basically what our technology set brings to any company. Uh, and so the channel, you know, is, is a really important contributor to both finding customers, but more, more importantly, helping us expand them with all the different ways that we can expand them. Got it. Robert, in, in terms of kind of the, the, the tip of the spear, for Atlassian traditionally had been Jira and Confluence. Those mm -hmm. were the two headline products that brought new customers into, into the ecosystem for Atlassian, and then you could expand from there. Is, is that still the case today, or has sort of the landing products, if you will, expanded out to a, a broader set of products? It's really interesting when you look at the portfolio of products. We um, lean in heaviest on Jira and Trello, the sort of the primary vectors to, to land customers into the company. Uh, and, and I'll talk about those in a second. But what we also see is products like Confluence and Jira Service Desk, um, although we don't go out and market and position those as land products, are seeing a significant percentage of new to new customers landing in those products. So Jira Service Desk is a good example. 15 or 16 percent of our new customers in cloud um, are first-time Atlassian customers landing with Jira Service Desk. Okay. Uh, Confluence, uh, co the Confluence number is even higher than that. And so, uh, one, we think that demonstrates high potential for future land opportunities, uh, but our land focus uh, is heavily on Jira and, and Trello. Now, with those two land products, and Jira in particular, what we see is growth in non-technical team members uh, who are using those products. So we did a survey, for example, um, for uh, Jira Software and Jira Service Desk, uh, and we found that 42% of Jira Service Desk end users are non-technical. And so what that tells us, um, it's exactly what we hear from customers, which is these applications are being used by more types of users across more types of teams uh, within companies. And so we get excited about that because our mission is to unleash the potential of every team, and we're starting to see how teams across functions uh, are starting to come together using Atlassian products as sort of the backbone of collaboration across the company. Got it. Excellent. Um, shifting gears a little bit um, onto more of the P side of the equation, if you will. Uh, when I just run the back of the envelope math, I take sort of your total revenues divided by the total number of customers. I come to just under about $9,000 per customer per year in, in terms of overall revenues, um, which doesn't seem like a lot. It seems like a, a, a pretty uh, low starting point from which to grow. Um, our, our thesis is that we think that, that basically 8,500 can go to 17,000 per customer over time. Um, and there's a lot of levers that you guys have for pushing up that sort of revenue per customer. One is just, and you mentioned it before, is expansion um, within the existing customers, getting more users within the existing customers. Um, the, the, the key kind of landing point people see for Atlassian is that like the developer IT operations community. I think you've talked to about 10 million potential users within, or 10 million current users within that community, the potential of going to 100 million, right? Um, how do you get there? Sort of what's, what's, the, what's the path to getting um, more IT guys, more developers kind of on the platform on a going forward basis? What makes that 100 million a realistic target for Atlassian? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think the 100 million, um, you know, goal really encompasses not just technical users, but uh, lots of line of business users okay. and supporting the point that Robert made that, you know, even in one of our more technical products, 42% of users of that very technical product are outside of 
of who they would identify as a technology team. So they're in line of business. They may be working with technology teams on a technology initiative. They're in marketing, service, support, sales. So I think when you get to, you know, there are very few uh, enterprise software franchises that, that can get to 100 million monthly active users. Yeah. And, you know, we believe we've got the potential, in part because of the diversity uh, and, you know, just variety of users that, that we can support inside of any business. You know, but you, know, you, you get there basically the old-fashioned way. You know, we're, we, we've get, we're building collaboration software that has some natural network effects in it, and so one user begets another user, one team begets another team. That sort of usage expansion path just for a single product is one way that we expand. We expand with, you know, a pretty wide portfolio that complements uh, the initial land product that companies usually start with, and so we've got multiple ways to sell uh, and expand with products, be through, you know, whatever. Okay. Uh, we have, uh, you know, a really strong uh, and enviable uh, marketplace of third-party applications and extensions, and so there's this whole economy and ecosystem that's building value on top of our platforms. That's another way that we expand with customers and we participate in some of the econo economics of developers that are building on top of our platform. So I think you put all those things together and that's, you know, that's, that's how we're, we're focused on expanding the existing customer base. In addition to that, you know, the lifeblood of our business is customer acquisition. And so you know, uh, we talk every quarter about you know, adding a, a, a net increment of somewhere between five and 7,000 customers any given quarter, okay. and those customers become you know, the fuel for future growth. Excellent. Digging down a little into the developer side of the equation in particular, the sort of the code build ship side of the portfolio, um, a lot of uh, recent acquisitions, Ops Genie, Status Page, Agile Craft, have all been expanding out the tool set for developers. How much coverage of that kind of developer tool chain do you guys have today? Um, how much further do you kind of want to expand it in terms of sort of covering that, that entire tool chain? I think the, the, the pieces that we cover are, uh, you know, think of us as covering the anchor tenants in the mall. Okay. And so I think we don't need to, to you know, own, uh, God, it's been a long time since I've been in a mall. We don't need to own the little uh, knick-knack shops. Uh, whatever the equivalents of those are, but when you go to a mall, you're 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 going to go into the anchor tenant store, and I think those are the pieces that that we support across those collaborative workflows. And so we think about, you know, we are to back up if you're unfamiliar with us. I mean, we we are a communication and collaboration vendor, and so like our flagship product, Jira, you know, is a collaborative project tracking system that is the most important anchor tenant in almost any collaborative workflow. It keeps track of you know, the work and the dependencies and the people and the deadlines and sort of all the interoperation of a really complex or simple project that can do simple projects too. That's sort of the backbone. And there's going to be a number of things that feed into that that we don't necessarily own. But oftentimes JIRA uh, and, and, and our products are the most integrated of kind of the, the non-anchor tenants or the non-kind of big box stores in a mall. And that's the right place to be. I and mean, we provide... Uh, kind of really rich platforms as, as much as we do sort of simple products. Got it. And, and so, Robert, from like a market perspective, um, you talk to some vendors out there, and like well, Microsoft is mm -hmm. trying to kind of consolidate that tool chain. It sounds like your approach to the market is more so to be kind of this center, center point of where all the integrations of best of breed solutions are going to be taking place. Am I thinking about that right if yeah. I look at the market? Um, you know, we, we, we don't approach our product portfolio with a suite I guess, mentality and mindset. Yeah. What we know, especially when we talk about developers, but in general, uh, with the consumerization of IT and, and, and software applications, uh, 
we're strong believers in best of breed. And so what that means for us is two things. First, uh, interoperability. And so we, when we look at Microsoft, we see, uh, you know, they're a partner of ours. We have deep integrations into their tool chain, uh, Microsoft Teams, Microsoft Office, GitHub, Azure. And that's really important for us is that interoperability. Um, at the same time, uh, our customers tell us that um, at times, especially for larger enterprises, um, the explosion of, of, of products creates complexity. And so our focus, in addition to interoperability, is making sure that our products work really, really well together. And so when we think about, for example, an acquisition, a product like OpsGenie, uh, first priority is to migrate that onto the Atlassian platform, ensure that we have a unified identity, and really start harnessing the power of OpsGenie working in a really integrated way uh, with Jira software. So we want our products to integrate extraordinarily well together and simultaneously ensure that we provide customers with choice. Got it. And maybe you could give, a, give us a, a kind of status update on where we are on that progression with the recent acquisitions, OpsGenie, Satisfaction, AgileCraft. Um, where are we in terms of the integration with the portfolio and how aggressively have you started kind of marketing that into the existing customer base? So uh, we uh, are either on track or ahead of plan in terms of our uh, integration. Um, uh, it's one of the strongest value propositions we have when we sell to customers is that our products are inherently and naturally well integrated together. Uh, it, it's what helps us win deals. You know, if you take OpsGenie and our IT uh, operations and incident management product, uh, time and time again, it's the number one reason why we beat out competitors is because of the deep integration into the existing tool chain. Um, so we are, uh, in, in most cases, ahead of all plans on integration. What's interesting um, is, uh, historically, Atlassian has been a very product-centric company, not necessarily a solution-centric company. That has served us well, and it will continue to serve us well. Um, but if you go to the Atlassian.com homepage, um, just this last week, we've slightly evolved some of the positioning of our products to show how they work better together. And so I think we're still at the very early stages of marketing the products this way. Uh, what we will never do is let complexity get in the way of um, getting customers in our products fast. And so if they want to try one product, two products, three products, we'll do everything we can to make sure that those barriers are low. Um, but we are seeing a lot of residents of demonstrating how these products can work better together. And, and we're going to continue in testing uh, and learning our marketing uh, to see how responsive the market is. But so far, uh, we've been really happy. Got it. If, Jay, if we think about the, the broader market for IT professionals and, and your mall analogy, what are other kind of anchor stores or what are other services or parts of the um, broader IT services that you think would make sense for Atlassian to, to provide versus what's in the portfolio today? I think we have good coverage. I mean, if you think about um, just just the, the teams that are involved in technology transformation, and that's sort of like the the kind of broad life cycle that I think we're deeply embedded in and that we're foundational for. So it begins with teams that are working on some strategy or technology development, and that's really hard. And the pieces that, you know, the, the really important pieces that we support there are um, JIRA for collaborative project management, Confluence for collaborative content development. And so in a technology project, it begins with a business plan or specification, a lot of collaborative work that, you know, that people are writing and creating together before a developer writes a line of code. That's a really important piece. And then as you move through into, into IT and operation, the technology that you've built, um, status page supports, uh, you know, incident communication out to people that are affected with downtime, option E supports uh, modern incident response, alerting, rostering, and connection back into 
systems like JIRA that are managing the distributed and fragmented collaborative work that involves in troubleshooting an issue and responding to an issue. If you go back to Confluence, which was that, that collaborative content piece, the artifacts that are involved in modern incident response are things like run books and post-mortem documentation. So you make sure, man, uh, when this particular service is out, what's the, the script that we need to follow to troubleshoot it and the systems that we need to spelunk into and the people that are experts in those particular systems, that's documented somewhere in a place that needs to, to, to be alive. It needs to be a living document that's updated by people in the process of responding to that incident. So I would say if you, if you look at the, that life cycle of building a piece of technology running and operating and supporting a piece of technology, responding and looping all the way back to fixing the technology in the first place and so you don't, uh, you know, you don't face more risk as, uh, for future issues. The big pieces basically we support, which is why I think you, we're growing the way we're growing. Got it. So um, shifting gears a little bit to the, the broader opportunity outside of, of the IT department. Um, question number one. Um, we, we've talked about some of the numbers in terms of what percentage of, of, of the, the users are, are working outside of the technical teams. Um, does the portfolio have to be further built out there? Do you need to start to get domain expertise in some of those areas that you're trying to automate the workflows like um, HR or um, service, uh, customer service desk? Or it, it could it just be built upon the, the JIRA platform itself? I think it's built on top today. I mean, it's built on top of the, to the platform as it exists. And, you know, we're supporting all those teams today. Yeah. And in some cases, we're supporting them just because the, the products are so mutantly flexible uh, and already built for um, non-technical use cases and non-technical users. Okay. Uh, and in addition to that, they've got this extensibility model that allows both the customer developer or a third-party developer to fill a hole or a gap in the technology from a feature perspective. Yeah. And so I, I think that's why we're well equipped to support if you, you know, if you go to our user conference, you'll bump into somebody in finance or somebody in marketing or somebody in support and you'll say, what are you using this for? And it will be some collaborative workflow that's germane to that particular function or department. And, and in some cases, you know, you'll bump into customers who are supporting the technology strategy that I talked about before that life cycle. But in many cases, in addition to that, We've spread across the organization and just supporting really critical deep collaborative work. Oftentimes, replacing, you know, crude uses of Microsoft Office and email, which is which stitches a lot of collaborative workflow together, just because it's what people know and are used to. Okay. But it is not the most effective way to drive team productivity. Got it, it, it Robert. Maybe. Um I think one of the things that investors struggle with a little bit is understanding the size of the market opportunity outside of IT versus the size of the market opportunity inside of IT. Mm -hmm. Can you help us with your perspective there in terms of how you guys think about that market opportunity? Sure. Um, well, I get excited about that. It's one of the reasons I, I, I love what I do is I feel that we are at the earliest stage of, of this uh, growth curve around companies adopting teamwork practices and collaboration. So when we look at the market, uh, you know, give or take, there's about 25 million software developers and software engineers globally. Um, you go one step outside of that, there's about 100 million uh, technology team members. Those are individuals who interface with software engineering team. Uh, product managers, R&D, program managers, data scientists. You zoom out even more, there's about 800 million knowledge workers globally. And so when we look at the opportunity for how to break down the silos within organizations, um, certainly, our core is in technology and IT teams, 
uh, we are, uh, customers are naturally pulling us in the direction of our products being used by all the different types of teams that integrate with them. Uh, I mean, I'll share uh, one of my favorite stories. Uh, we have so many great customer stories. Um, Eli Lilly, uh, uh, they, they are one of the leaders in um, uh, drug delivery for, uh, for insulin and for, for diabetic patients. And one of our champions inside um, of Lilly has done a remarkable job, r remarkably young, uh, came over from Johnson & Johnson and, and moved to Indianapolis. And uh, the challenge he saw is that there's disparate teams within Lilly all trying to work and collaborate on, on a single problem, which is they're developing a mobile application which governs um, the amount of drug delivery from an insulin uh, uh, pen that is Bluetooth enabled. And so now you have a mobile app that's actually defining the drug delivery tied to um, your glucose meter. And so you have hardware, software, mobile application that all need to work together. Uh, over a dozen different teams that need to collaborate within Lilly to make that happen. And you know, Jay mentioned sort of the configurability of our products. Uh, it turns out that Jira is one of the only products in the market that can help uh, do two things, which is connect all of these teams for a common workflow, and second, meet the FDA's strict requirements uh, for R&D because the, the principles that define how a mobile app gets developed are the same exact principles that define how to develop a medical device. The mobile app the FDA calls a medical device. Uh, and he has deployed this across um, that business unit within Lilly, uh, and it's been so successful that he's been actually appointed to the FDA advisory board on um, uh, configuring Atlassian tools for regulated industries. Okay. And so this is a remarkable example of a product like Jira really serving as a backbone across compliance, legal, R&D, pharma, hardware, all these different teams coming together. And, and you know, we see this story time and time again across our customer base. Right. I think one of the key investor debates on Atlassian since the IPO has always been um, the question of at some point are they going to have to build out a traditional enterprise sales force. And as you guys sort of go outside the IT department, when I hear stories that like that about Eli Lilly, and we talked a little bit about this with partners, um, as you get into more strategic deployments, more and more involved deployments, it, I think it opens up that question again. Um, when you acquire assets like um, Jira Line, um, it, it brings up that back topic again. Um, what, what's the kind of current answer in terms of um, Will Atlassian be building out a traditional enterprise sales force to, to support these needs? Yeah, I mean, the answer is the same one that we've been given. We, I mean, we have a, a sales force. I think the sales force in our, our case will always be smaller than maybe we are accustomed to because we have those two other acquisition expansion lovers that are really well-developed, that, you know, that high-velocity acquisition engine and expansion engine. And we built products like, take a step back, one of the reasons that companies uh, – can only scale their go-to-market models with uh, an enterprise sales organization is because that's what they've started and they never built an indirect channel. They never built products to be self-service. They never built an e-commerce vehicle for customers to buy on their own. We built all those things, you know, 15 plus years ago. And, and then we're augmenting that or we've augmented that with a strategic direct enterprise selling motion for really large enterprise opportunities. But, you know, I think, I think it's, it's, that's complementing a bunch of things that it doesn't need to replace. It needs to augment it. And so you should expect our direct selling motion relative to a company like ServiceNow, as an example, if you were to compare us, we're just going to have a much smaller direct 
um, selling footprint because we have a really capable, stable, global indirect selling channel and this high-velocity flywheel that acquires customers in a way that a company like ServiceNow just can't because the product, there's no way for you to try the product on your own, not to pick on them, but um, you just can't do it. And so I think we've built products that, uh, that you know, a company as big as yours can try and buy on their own if they want to, and they're going to have a bunch of care and feeding from both an indirect channel and from us uh, to support the pretty big expansion opportunity that a company of your size presents. Got it. Got it. Um, I want to touch on sort of the, the, the cloud, not migration, but it, it, is, it is sort of the, the new customer acquisitions are all coming in through, um, through the cloud. How, how does that if that had any change or maybe even make easier your, your job in terms of marketing the solution, cross-marketing across the various solutions. How does, uh, from a go-to-market perspective, how does cloud kind of change the game for you guys? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, one thing that's really fascinating is the, the, the thrust and the driver of our business has been champions within companies who then uh, take our products and help expand them or they move companies and bring their expertise around Atlassian products with them. Um, this, this, will, this is a sort of very fundamental um, shift that's happened in our business, but an important one. In an on-prem world with data center and server products, um, we get a lot of information about our billing contact and our admins. In a cloud world, the dynamic is completely different. Now we go to not only having great information about the, per the person who's the billing contact and the admin who's deploying the product, but every single end user. Okay. And one, that gives us a treasure trove of behavioral data to help us make better products. But secondly, we start to understand what are the different roles across a team? Um, what are the interaction points between departments and functions? And then how can we leverage that to create uh, better opportunities for us to expand the Atlassian footprint? And we're very judicious and thoughtful and careful about this. I don't even call it marketing. It's how do we build a great product and provide a service? And so a really simple example that's been extremely powerful for us is if we see a team or an end user um, uh, uh, including lo uh, links to Google Docs within their JIRA instance, um, and we see that repeatedly, uh, we think that that's a great opportunity for us to introduce Confluence because that's a signal to us that um, documentation and links to um, pages that are being shared is something that they're using JIRA as a, as a vehicle to do. Now, we integrate with G Suite, no problem at all, but we'll introduce a little feature there that says, hey, let us show you Confluence. Uh, click here for a free trial. Right. And what we find is those are just small nudges, but across the user base of millions and millions of end users now in cloud, we have this whole new expansion vector, and that's you know, proving to be a really powerful growth engine. Right. Uh, I, I want to shift gears a little bit to talk about the competitive environment. You, you brought up ServiceNow, so perhaps we could start there. Um, ServiceNow is just, just one of um, a lot of companies that are talking a lot more about changing the way people work, um, becoming more collaborative, helping to automate workflows, um, both inside the IT department and outside the IT department. Um, so ServiceNow from a public company standpoint, smart sheets and project management, um, a host of private vendors who have similar types of stories. Can you talk to us about who do you guys actually see from a competitive environment? Are you, are you running up against ServiceNow in the field? Are you running against other vendors more often? Uh, I, mean, I, I mean, I think the biggest thing that we're, we are displacing is what I mentioned earlier, which is just crude, inefficient uses of office and email and a, you know, a bunch of collaborative workflows that aren't um, supported by modern technology. 
um, you know, we're, we're going to bump up against uh, lots of the companies that you mentioned in, in different ways. I think, um, you know, for ServiceNow in particular, we have in Jira Service Desk, you know, a, a product that supports IT service management. Uh, and, you know, in the G2K where they're serving, we may go head-to-head on, on kind of like the big canonical IT help desk use case. Uh, I think even, even in uh, cases where they win that, oftentimes the customer is co-deploying Jira Service Desk for a whole host of other service collaborative applications that would be too expensive to deploy in ServiceNow. Um, and so I think if you look at um, the price points of those two products, there's a lot of disparity between them. If you look at the uh, simplicity uh, you know, of the two products just in terms of usability and then how quickly you can stamp out applications, you can do, you can do that just a lot faster on Jira Service Desk, which is typically why it's selected um, uh, you know, in, in cases alongside of Jira Service Desk. Uh, or in, alongside ServiceNow. So I, I, you know, I think it's the collaboration landscape is always kind of a dog's breakfast of a bunch of different things that from 30,000 30, feet um, look and smell similar. But I think it's, it's really important to understand where they get applied and what they're really used for. And I just go back to you know, our landing uh, vector where we really land inside of, of companies is supporting you know, the technology team transformation. And I think we are our products tend to be kind of the Kleenex of the category, where if, you're, if you have a technical team that's, that's responsible for driving some technology strategy collaboratively inside of your organization, that team is going to say, we need Atlassian here to do this. Got it. Um, last topic I want to make sure we cover in the last two minutes here is, uh, is pricing. Um, obviously, important component of P's and Q's. Um, you guys have more aggressively pulled the lever on pricing over the past couple of years and, and pushing through actual price increases. Um, how do you think about sort of the current gap between sort of customer value and where your current pricing is, um, or, or maybe also sort of current pricing versus the competitor pricing? How, how much more room is there under that kind of pricing umbrella for you guys to get more aggressive there? Uh, well, I would say a couple things. Like one, I just think if you look at us relative to any alternative, we are significantly underpriced, and that's part of the strategy. We want the customer to feel like um, they're always uh, on 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 their side of the value exchange. And that's, uh, you know, part of, part of our, has been part of our strategy and will continue to be part of our pricing philosophy. Um, in terms of um, price changes, I think what we've done is we've gotten into more of a regular cadence of changing pricing. In some cases, not just universally an increase. In some cases, prices will go up. In some tiers, they'll stay the same. In some tiers, they'll go down. In some products, they won't change. In some products, they will. Um, you know, at the same time that, you know, we're increasing pricing, in many cases, we're decreasing pricing, introducing a free tier in cloud. So there's lots of puts and takes. What we did prior to a couple of years ago is, is we would save up a bunch of changes. And then every three or four years, implement them. What we found is that in that particular case, some of the changes were more pronounced. Like if you look at even, in, even the increasing that we do, you know, it's really nominal. It's sort of like in the 10 to 15 percent range um, on top of a product that is already priced well below 10K. And so, you know, the, the relative increase for a customer is really small. Um, and, you know, at, at the same time, like if you look at how much we spend on R&D, the velocity of innovation and new features and improvements that we're adding to the product again, favors the customer value exchange where they feel like they're getting a lot more uh, than what they're paying for, which is a good spot to be. Excellent. Um, unfortunately, that takes us to the end of our allotted time slot, but uh, Jay, Robert, thank you very much for joining us. Yeah, thank you. Us. Yeah, thanks, everybody. Thank you.